Uh, so Genesis chapter 12, if you've got your Bibles, you might like to turn with me there. Uh, don't worry if you haven't, because it will appear on the screen. And actually, it's so famous that actually you probably know what it is. But it's uh, Genesis 12, 1 to 4. It's a great passage. Here it is. And it's about Abram. And it says, The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great, what, nation, and I will bless you. I'll make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord told him. It's a great passage, and it's great as well because it introduces us to a key figure in our faith. Now, of course, it's Abraham. Abram then, Abraham, and a few chapters on. He is, as some say, the father of our faith. He's the rock from which we're cut, as Isaiah says. And he's the one that God chose to begin the process of rescuing mankind. Actually, it's Abraham. And his life itself, if you know about it, is an amazing, amazing journey. Because here in chapter 12, when we first meet him, really he knows nothing much of God at all. He knows nothing. He's in the 12th chapter into your Bible. So all he's got is 12 chapters. Uh, he knows nothing about the rest of the Old Testament or the New. In fact, he really doesn't know much at all. But as time goes by, he will gain such a place with God that God himself will refer to him as Abraham, my friend. That's quite a journey. And for us to claim God to be our friend is one thing. But for God to say, ah, oh, Abraham, he's my friend. That's something other. That's a, that's a deeper thing. And so you can see this man, he takes an incredible spiritual journey. And if you track it over the chapters ahead, there's just so much you can learn. But even here in Genesis 12, when we first come across this guy, you know, there are things I believe that profoundly shout out to us today as we head home, as we continue our journey forward. And as we continue to seek for the breakthroughs that we were praying for last night. There are things that we can learn. So what I want to do in these last 20 minutes or so, it's not going to be long, 20, 25 minutes or so, is I want to just talk about three things from this passage that I believe God would send us back with. Three things. And actually they fall into two parts really. Uh, two of them are things that we share with Abraham, what we share with him and that should encourage us from the passage. And also one other thing that we have that Abraham did not fully have, but I believe is also hinted in the passage. So that's where we're going to go. I'm going to just pray again. This is our, my last shot to have a go at every, everyone before you leave. So I want to really pray that God speaks to us through it as he has been speaking so profoundly before. Father, we want to start by thanking you so much for the camp that we've had so far. We, we praise you for the time just to draw aside as a people, as churches, as local families, as it were, to draw aside with you. And we thank you, Lord, for the profound ways that you have spoken to us over these days. And Father, we're so aware that we are on a journey as a people. We are on a journey under your hand. And I pray even in these last closing minutes, I pray come and continue to speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, I, I noticed that uh, we don't have so many Africans here this afternoon, so I need you all to pretend to be African and go, Amen, and yes, and things like that. Th thank you. That's more like it. Thank you, Becca. <laughs> all right, so first of all, a couple of things that we do share with Abraham. The first, I think, is, 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 is very obvious. 
We share the fact that God really is the great initiator in our lives. All right, we've already sensed that even over these days. But it's certainly God, as far as Abraham is concerned, it's God who kicks the whole thing off, isn't it? All right, in Genesis chapter 1 or verse 1, it says that God, God comes to Abraham and says, and, say, and he says he calls him, he speaks to him. Wonderful. God speaks. He says, leave your household and come with me. In fact, in, uh, uh, but even before that, it's the fact that God has to come to him. Abraham is in no place, no position to even seek God, no place to even inquire of God. In fact, we read later on in Joshua 24 that his whole family was pagan. So he's in no position even to seek for God. And yet God breaks in. The Lord said to Abraham, or as Stephen later on says in the book of Acts, it says this, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham and said, leave your father's household. In other words, it's a God of glory that initiates this. God begins it. And of course, that's how it is with you and me, isn't it? God is the great initiator of our lives. Ephesians 2 says this, that once we were dead in our sins, we were far from God, we were lost as Peter says, we were lost in the futility of our forefathers. We were going nowhere, unable to reach out for God. But then Ephesians says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. In other words, the God of glory came to us. And so everyone in this room, you are here only because God has come to you. Only because he came to you. And we could all tell our different stories. I met one uh, young lady yesterday who's, uh, she said, uh, I said, how old are you? She said, I'm 13. Uh, and, uh, and I thought, wow, when I was just a bit older than 13 was when I gave my life to Jesus. When the God of glory came to me and awoke in my heart to respond to him. So God has come to us, just like Abram. But not only that, but here in chapter 12, we not only see God coming to a man, we see more actually. We see this, we see God drawing a man out of his empty past and into what I can only refer to as this, as a grace-dependent adventure. That's what it is, where God will continue to take the initiative in his life. So it's not just a one-off thing, it's this, that God will continue to draw Abraham after him. And, uh, and you can see it right in the passage, actually. You can see it. I mean, it's interesting that God, when he comes to Abraham, he doesn't simply tell Abraham where to go. Did you notice that in the passage? It's not like, like God says to Abraham, right, you're going to give you a map and Canaan, nice bold print at the top of the map. And it's a map of the Middle East and it's X marks the spot. And this is the highway you need to take. And this is how long it will be. And this is the food you need to carry. God doesn't tell Abraham any of that. It's just, come to a land, I will show you. It's not very specific, is it? I mean, if you'd ever been to this campsite before, if I said to you, come to a camp, I will show you, you probably wouldn't let me get off with that, would you? You'd be saying things like, well, where is it then, Pete? Uh, how far away is it? What town is it next to? What highway do we need to take to get there? Come on, give us a clue. How much petrol do we need to buy? Give us a map. But Abraham gets none of that. It's just leave everything you've ever known and come to a land I will show you. You say, well, well what's going on there? Why, why didn't God give him more information? 
Well, I think it's clear. I think it's this. I think that the God who has broken into this guy, his life, is setting him up so that he can carry on being totally dependent upon him, upon the grace of God. God's set him up for dependence. And you see, by doing it this way, Abraham's eyes won't be on a map or his own experience or what other people say or what he knows about the land. It won't be on any of that. It'll have to be on God because God is the only one who knows where he's going to go. And so it's like every day you're saying, God, is it today? Or, or are you turning right or are you going left? And uh, how much food do I need to pack for today? He is totally Cast on God. It's total dependence. And I just want to make this point, folks. Nothing has changed. The God who has broken into your life and mine is requiring that same dependence still. All right? We've just got to understand that. And even as you look forward to your future, you know, what, what job shall I go for? Where should I study? Where should I live? What nation should I move to? You won't necessarily know. You won't have all the answers. Where will the money come from? You won't necessarily have all the answers. And we're stirred, as we're stirred as churches, about new plants. Even last night as we were praying, we don't know the answers. We are asking God where. But we won't necessarily know everything as we go. But God is calling us anyway. Now there's a tension in that, isn't there? There's an uncertainty, but that's okay. It's biblical. We're just walking in the footsteps of Abraham. We are called to walk in grace. We're called to walk trusting and receiving his favor, his direction every step of the way and cast on him. And our family of churches must continue to function that way. That must be how it is. And there's a tension in that but it's one of our core values. We are a prophetic family of churches where we need to hear the voice of God as we go. And so that is crucial for us. And so we celebrate the fact that it's God who has come to us and taken hold of us and we can be confident that he's leading us forward and for our part, we just need to keep our eyes on him. So even as we're beginning to head home, our eyes are raised to him. Even as our eyes and our gaze have been raised to him over these last sessions, so should it continue. Because that's where the answers will come. That's where the towns will open up to us. As people are responding to church planting, even this morning, understand God will be putting his finger on people all over the place. Not giving you the whole answer or the whole map or the whole time scale but already beginning to say, leave your household, leave your place and come with me. Let's be really open to that. So that's number one, the first thing we share with Abraham. Just want to mention that to you. And then number two, this, having said all of that, the second thing we share is that along with Abraham, we're not just called to step into the dark or a vague hope that everything will be okay. We have been given amazing promises about what God will do with us as we go. All right? In fact, they are literally the same promises because we continue to walk as a descendants of Abraham. So here again are the promises that God made this man. He says, I will make you into what? A great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. 
In other words, even though there may be gaps in our plans or uncertainties about where God will take us, the promise is this, I will bless you. I will bless you. Look, we need to receive it. We are under the blessing of God. We don't need to go somewhere to find it. Some conference somewhere in some other country or planet. We are under the blessing of God. Doesn't mean we won't be perplexed at times, but the covenant promise is he will bless. You are under his favour. But then catch the weight of the rest of this. It's this. Yes, he will bless us, but really the weight of it is this. We will be a blessing. We will be a blessing. Wonderful. I will make you into a great nation. I'll make your name great. You will be a blessing. That's the promise. We are carriers of blessing. I just want to mention that to you. I mean, have you ever, have you ever thought of yourself that way before? I am a blessing. I remember to Terry years ago preaching on this. It was wonderful. Do you realize you are a blessing? You could legitimately turn to the, the person next to you and say to them, I am such a blessing. <laughs> you could do that. In the office where you work, in the uni where you study, on the building site where you work, in the neighborhood where you live, in the family God has placed you, you are a blessing. They need to be careful how to handle that. I wouldn't recommend you go to your office tomorrow and call everybody around your table and say, everybody, I just want you to know I am a blessing to you. <laughs> It's not the way to win friends or influence people. But it's the truth. It is the truth. You are a blessing. In fact, you are probably the best thing to happen to those around you. Ever thought of that before? You are the best thing to happen to those around you. You say, well, Pete, what are you talking about? I don't feel like a blessing at all. I feel very average, actually. I feel pretty nondescript in my office, actually. Or I feel in my family they couldn't care less whether I was there or not. That all may be true, but I'm looking at the promise, you carry blessing. You say, well, well, Pete, how can that be? Well, simply this, if you haven't got it already by now, you carry the gospel. You carry the gospel. You carry the message of reconciliation. You're the outworking of the ascended Christ we've been hearing about. You are. You are Christ's ambassadors. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians, we are Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. You are a mouthpiece for God. Or as Paul says to the Corinthians, we are Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. You are a mouthpiece of God. Of course you're a blessing. I love it when Paul writes to the Roman church. You know what he says to them? He says, I know, he says, that when I come to you, I will come in the full measure of the blessing of Christ. That almost sounds arrogant, doesn't it? I will come to you in the fullest measure of the blessing of Christ. It's not. He just knew what he had. He knew what he carried. The way you live, what we say, how generous we are, how we behave, how we care, we carry the seed of life. Whether you appreciate it now or not, you are an incredible blessing. You carry the blessing of Christ. Can I just say, that is very powerful. That is very powerful. I know that in my own life, that's very powerful. For years, in my family, they didn't go to church. They didn't believe. I was the only one who believed for a long, long time. And they used to think I was such an oddball. I was a fanatic one. I was the one, they used to put it this way, oh, Pete, you gave your life to the church. 
And uh, my older, older brother in particular would look at me and just scoff, really. He was, in the, he was part of an oil company at the time and saying, what are you doing with your life? And so they never really understood me and they gave me such a hard time. There were times when they really went for me, really. And I remember my parents in particular, boy, they would give me a hard time. When I gave my life to the Lord that night, I remember I came home and the first thing Dad said was, well, at least it will keep you off the streets. Actually, it put me on the streets in a way they didn't quite realise, but... They were very hard, but then over the years, things began to change, and at the end of their lives, three of them who are dead now all wept their way to the Lord. And I still remember my mum, who was so anti, so hard, so cynical. She's sitting on the end of her hospital bed in her last sickness, tears streaming down her face, and she said to me, thank you for introducing me to Jesus. And I thought, that's the best thing to happen to her. Well, I was. I thought of my sister, who just days before she died, there she was, clutching my hand, weeping her way to God, repenting, coming to Jesus. I was the best thing to happen to her. I saw my father, who was very anti, again, very self-assured, self-sufficient, as the end came, beginning to soften and soften. And then my dear friend Stuart, leading him through to the Lord. He was a blessing to my father best thing to ever happen to him. This is how it is. Your work colleagues, your unsaved family, look, they may not appreciate it yet, but you are the best thing to happen to them. So we go back with confidence and a sense of dignity and purpose. I felt as I was praying earlier and preparing this, I thought, there are some folks here even this afternoon and you're kind of afraid to go back because you know what you have back at home or you know what you're going to get tomorrow in the office. No, you are a blessing. You are a blessing. You need to hear this. Tim, when you go to Mozambique, you carry the fullness of the blessing of God. Sven, when you go down to the church plant and join the others down there, you have the the fullness of the blessing of Christ. But look, it's not just you. It's actually bigger than that. God says, I will make you into a great nation. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. He's talking about a people, really. He's talking about the church. And so as the church, you know what? We're the best thing to happen to this country. We and others like us, not just us, other churches too, we are the best thing to happen to this nation. You won't read it about on you won't read about it on stuff or catch it on the news, but it's true. We are carriers of the gospel, the source of life. And although there's thick darkness around, the glory of the Lord rises upon us. The ascended Christ rules through us. And his intent is that the church will come through in glory and power and presence. Amen. So as church's redeemer, you are the best thing to happen to New Plymouth. You and other churches like you, you're the best thing to happen to New Plymouth. You may not think, well, we don't always feel that way. We feel so small or on a winter's Sunday. There we are looking at each other again. It's like, really, are we a blessing to New Plymouth? Yes, you are. You say, well, but we're so small. That's got nothing to do with it. I love what it says in Isaiah 51. It says this. Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah who gave you birth. When I called him, he was only one man, and I blessed him and made him many. That's the blessing. That's the blessing. I think of those from Grace Church in Auckland. I know it's been tough, tough, tough. I just want to say to you, look to Abraham, your father. I blessed him and I made him many. That's what we're holding on to. 
Kings Church the same. We have promises. As we heard this morning, Christ reigns. So we step out and we follow him with confidence and trust. And so as with Abraham, God has broken into our lives, called us to be dependent on him, and he's loaded us with amazing promises to see more than we've ever seen. That's the facts. And here's the thing, and this is the last thing. As astounding as the things are that we share, there is still something in God that we have that Abraham did not fully come into or fully enjoy. And that something is simply this, and it will increase our confidence, it's this, we have a standing before God that Abraham did not have. We have a standing before God. We have a new covenant standing before God. The fact of the matter is we have a standing before God that no other Old Testament saint has. I love what a great reformed uh, teacher said, John, uh, John Owen. He once said this, Abraham was the friend of God, David a man after his own heart, Enoch walked with him. In other words, an amazing relationship. But then John Owen says this, he says, but the way into the holiest was not yet open. In other words, the presence of God was still locked away when the temple was eventually built into a small room and nobody could draw near. So, though they had communion with God, yet they had not a boldness and a confidence in that communion. And that's really the difference. And what that means is this, that they weren't always sure of God showing up. There was uncertainty about it. Will he come to me today? Will I find him? Will he decide to reveal his presence to me? In Abraham's case, it was later on, he actually built altars, stones, where God had met with him so that when he journeyed further on, he could always journey back to those places in the hope that God would turn up. But it wasn't confident. A lack of confidence, even some fear. What if God doesn't turn up? And even occasionally, what if he does? And we know there are times in the Old Testament when God does, when he does turn up, it can be terrifying. But through the new covenant, that's all changed. Hallelujah. Through the blood of Christ, which thoroughly cleanses us, we now have full access anytime and all of the time. In fact, we are commanded to come. And so it says in Hebrews 10, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, let us draw near to God. It's a command, really. It's come, come. There's no uncertainty here. Come, come. The way is open. In fact, more than that, the very nature of our relationship has changed. No longer is God far off, uncertain, transcendent. He is all that, but he's no longer inaccessible. He is Abba Father. He is Father. That's a radical change. I love it in John 16, Jesus says, the Father himself loves you. John in 1 John, it says, he bursts out with, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us. And just understand this, he's not Father in name, he's Father in presence. Father in presence, and that's unique to the New Testament. Romans 8, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. He is Father within us now. And that's a crucial difference to the Old Testament. Now, not only can we approach God freely as a Father, but we approach Him as God who is within, God who has come near. And so we don't have to hunt for altars and temples because we are the temple of God. 
The Spirit lives within us. I love a quote at the moment from Tim. Tim Keller, he writes this. The same divine glory that would have been fatal to Moses on contact now comes into the hearts of those pardoned by Christ. We can have hearts to praise, sing, and pray to a God with a joy and reality that neither David nor John the Baptist could know. God will not merely build us a house. Folks, God will make us his house. And that's the difference. He will fill us with his presence, beauty, and glory. That is the new covenant. Hallelujah. And so Paul can actually say to the Ephesians, be being filled with the presence or with the Spirit of God. That's Abraham could never truly say. Again, as we turn our sights towards home, as we look ahead to all that God is calling us to, understand your calling now, understand your standing now. Jesus says in John 8, Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. In other words, he longed for what Jesus would bring us into, the intimacy, the confidence, the presence. Abraham longed for it. Folks, we have it. We have it. And I guess the main point I'm trying to get across as we go now is simply this. It's this. Like Abraham, we've had God come to us and crash into our lives and call us to follow him. Hallelujah. And like Abraham, we've had incredible calling to be a blessing to the nations and the nations around us. It's wonderful. But more than, more than Abraham, we have confidence. We have access to the presence and the power and the intimacy of God to press through and fulfill the calling. Amen. Listen, Abraham provokes me. He provokes me like this. If he was prepared to step out on the small amount he had, how much more can we run with confidence into all that God has called us to with all that we now have? So this afternoon, really, it's a call to faith. I, I sincerely believe that as churches, we have barely begun. There are churches to grow. There are churches to be planted. There are communities to be impacted. Our response to that is, we stay cast upon God and his grace as we go. We are aware that we are carriers of amazing blessing and we press in to be full of his spirit and presence. So let's commit ourselves again to God's grace. Can I ask you to stand with me?